you all. Uh, welcome to uh, second day for uh, Investec uh, ESG conference. Uh, yesterday we discussed uh, uh, what what we could make out if I had to summarize very quickly. Uh, coal is something which uh, is, is not going away. Uh, green hydrogen probably is the solution, but uh, there is an intermediate solution which could be coal gasification or blue hydrogen. I think for all this to actually fructify, uh, what is pertinent is uh, the right policy. Uh, so to understand what are the challenges and what incrementally could the government do or what the private sector could hope for, uh, we have with us, uh, with us uh, Mr. Tirtha uh, Biswas. Uh, currently, he is with OEM International, uh, overlooking policy, advocacy and strategic partnership. Uh, today, he is with us uh, to speak on India decarbonization, uh, opportunities, challenges and policy reforms. Uh, just a quick brief uh, on Tirtha. Uh, prior to OMIM, Sirsa uh, was associated as Program Associate at the Council of Energy, Environment and Water, that is CEAW, uh, working on the development of sustainable and competitive pathways for Indian industry to support its low growth aspirations. Uh, at the Council, his research revolved around mineral resource security, greenhouse uh, emissions and energy efficiency of the domestic industrial sector in India. Sirsa uh, has completed a dual degree uh, from IIT. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you uh, on board for this session and uh, we're really thankful despite uh, still being in the recovery mode, uh, uh, being there uh, for us uh, for the presentation. Uh, thanks so much and I'll hand over uh, uh, the controls to you. Probably you can share the presentation and we can uh, have a quick go. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. and excuse my uh, sound voice is not very, uh, I found the today. Um, and uh, I'll thank you, the organizers, for hosting me. Um, and yesterday, my uh, uh, fund, uh, our director, Sachipati Gopal, and we have talked about Omium. And uh, just to give a, a brief background um, about the company, um, we, uh, and by the way, I mean, I, since I work with the Omium, uh, uh, my uh, comments will also be somehow more towards green hydrogen. And I did hear it is talk about other possibilities such as new coal gasification, but I'll try to touch upon them and our takeaways uh, uh, on those aspects. So, uh, without further ado, I want to share a presentation, and and I am yeah. So, I hope my screen is visible for everyone. Yes. Perfect. So, so yeah, as I was mentioning, uh, I represent Omium. So we are. Two and a half year old company uh, set up in 2019 um, by a group of uh, industry experts uh, who had decades of experience, several decades of experience in fact, on working on uh, FEM fuel cell commercializer. We also happened to work with the founder of FEM, uh, Jim McElroy, when you know, NASA was trying to evaluate or find a suitable technology for its uh, Gemini space program. And, uh, and previous, you know, previous that, previous uh, that, uh, hydrogen has been there in, in the economy and it's been on the, uh, on the primary feedstock uh, in certain applications. But, you know, it was more produced to a different route for alkaline. Uh, but however, if you look at those technologies alkaline, they were not designed or developed to produce hydrogen. It happened to be hydrogen is one of the byproducts of certain uh, process. And, and that the assigned technology has certain limitations in terms of, you know, uh, low current density requiring massive footprint, etc., etc., which I will try to uh, cover today. 
and, and, and you know, and then same chemical revolution and you know, uh, one of the advantages of them is it's, uh, it's, it's designed for hydrogen applications, it's designed to produce hydrogen in a much more cost uh, comparative way. And our philosophy and at home in what we believe uh, is looking, looking at the various technologies before, you know, only invested in a particular manufacturing facility. Uh, we chose STEM because we believe that STEM will give you the lowest levelized cost of hydrogen when you look at green hydrogen applications for a variety of reasons. That's the best science from test because, you know, uh, in, 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 when you produce hydrogen uh, through a STEM technology, you actually have a physical barrier. It's a polymer membrane that separates hydrogen and oxygen uh, and, and avoids the risk of remixing explosion, etc. Whereas other technologies, if there's a porous or liquid membrane, you need certain pressure to ensure that there's no cross diffusion that happens. And there have been several incidents. I mean, if you Google up uh, certain safety uh, aspects uh, of alkaline, you will know there have been explosions in the past. So, uh, and US have been using fan for multiple applications applications uh, that, you know, and our founders happen to work with. You know, as I said, NASA's Germany program, then they worked with the US Navy, uh, when, uh, when FAM was actually used extensively in, in, in some buildings applications. And then further, they also worked in, you know, room energy and, and, uh, and, uh, plus power and leading their development, uh, programs on, on FAM at the, uh, and So, um, as I said, we, uh, we are currently, uh, uh, set up in India. Our entire manufacturing is better on value. Uh, more than 90% of the components today are actually sourced from India, uh, which points us to our second philosophy, which is our cost competitor. We believe that the Indian ecosystem it gives us a significant cost advantage when compared to leading manufacturers and indicators of ingredients uh, in manufacturing that's like technology uh, in Europe and the US. And, and the way we have designed our product is completely, uh, you know, taking uh, off uh, components which are off the shelf and readily available so that we can improve our construction times, improve our delivery times, and be close and near to the consumer. Uh, we also, the third philosophy which we also believe is in modular. And this, this philosophy comes from uh, our experience in uh, in, in a modular fuel cells which Bloom developed and, and also our learning from the solar industry. Again, back when solar started, we had two options. We either had photovoltaic or we had large CSP, uh, right? And there was an idea then, and there was a general idea and perception that, you know, large, perhaps the large CSPs are more suitable for industrial applications, right? Which also require large demand of energy and so on. But we all saw how it is evolved, right? Manufacturing modules which are identical, right? Which leads to that you are, you are producing that same technology again and again, again and again, right? The cost of those technology becomes super, um, super uh, efficient, uh, sort of, uh, I would say, and more, more much quicker than building large customized technologies, right? Which are very difficult uh, to, uh, you know, the cost. Uh, the other advantage of modular is, you know, uh, servicing. Uh, imagine that you in, in one of our slides actually have a, a nice deck really uh, put about our concept of OEM tower. 
and and you will see that you know uh, when when one of your modules is servicing, you don't need to shut down the plant. You don't need to bring in heavy machinery to this that module. You can bring a smaller forklift, take out that whole module, and the remaining facility actually functions uh, at current design capacity. So uh, overall modularity also leads to better lower operational costs and better plant performance and ensures availability in the long run. Uh, we currently have uh, uh, our, our installed operational capacity of 0.5 uh, gigawatt of manufacturing capacity, and the same factory that we have uh, today can be easily ramped to 2 gigawatts of annual output. Um, and just talk about the employees, we uh, uh, we have more than 50 employees, and more than 95 percent of the supplies are in the rest of India. With all of our uh, with our major R&D labs also located in in Bangalore, in the heart of the city. So, uh, uh, with this introduction, I'm going to quickly, uh, you know, move to the topic of today, and 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 I chose to talk more about, you know, uh, green hydrogen, and and the reason being, you know, as we are moving into low carbon, low carbon growth, uh, the priorities of any nation actually, uh, the we want to, you know, the way we position it is the first four pillars. The first obviously is economic growth. Uh, we need uh, uh, energy that is cost competitive, right? We need to reduce our imports, increase our food, which finally leads to GDP and wealth creation, right? Uh, second, is, uh, again, most, one of the most important pillars is energy independence. As India grows, as our uh, current energy, MPO, uh, energy consumption increases, and we estimate that India would need something around 1100 MPOE to achieve, uh, you know, 7.5 trillion we need to be energy independent and we need to and which also means that we need to control a larger portion of the value chain uh, and and the, the pillars that we identify the three technologies uh, that will enable India and going to our solar wind battery power electronics and green hydrogen um second climate goals you know climate <coughs> obviously it is known that uh, climate change will sort of probably play you the dividends in healthcare. But as the world moves to a low, more low carbon economy, there will be more demand for green green products from more consumer pressure. And and that will ensure that our Indian company, uh, Indian uh, you know manufacturers and industries actually competitive globally uh, in in a, in a market where they where they are able to share uh, or sell uh, green uh, green products. And finally, one of the most important points that we feel is uh, asset preservation, because India, India, if you look at the most of the infrastructure, it's uh, it's new or it's probably used 50% of its life. Um, I know one of the examples is right now India is planning to invest 7,000 kilometers of natural gas pipeline. The next question is. We should be choosing a certain path that will and allow our our existing assets to be utilized fully and not discarding it and you know reinvesting in a completely new infrastructure. Uh, and you know for hydrogen, it actually becomes an opportunity because you can repurpose much of the transmission lines, use the existing industry for the refinery, use the existing gas stations. <coughs> we are talking about uh, you know using green hydrogen certain. Uh, blending in, in the CNG or HNG, uh, uh, this is new in it. Uh, and obviously the downstream distribution pipeline that we talked about. Okay. Um, so, I, I don't know if you look at the recent policy, I think India is, 
it's been India has a very uh, I, I think a very strong uh, stand on uh, climate change and the recent policy stands uh, uh, sort of support that. Uh, you know, if we look at the key milestones, uh, we recently ramped up our national uh, NDC commitment. Um, we want to uh, become net zero by 2070. And, and, and the support of that, India has been significant in the policies are in work. Hydrogen being one of them, where we all have heard that the, the ministry uh, the Ministry of Renewable Energy and the NLRE is already in, in preparing uh, a hydrogen mission with a bunch of uh, policy incentives to push the market forward. Uh, so, you know, I just want to uh, sort of uh, take a step back and, and, and first of all uh, try to flesh uh, out the role of green hydrogen, right? And, and this is where I've taken a chart from uh, IES mission study. Uh, on global net zero for, and they have obviously, you know, assumed that uh, the net zero, uh, uh, and study actually is, uh, considers that net zero is achieved for 2050, and how will the world feel this to act, right? Um, so, what happens is, you know, if you look at the current, the current uh, industrial uh, energy mix, uh, uh, most of the Earth is actually possible now. The world has a higher share of natural gas, but for India, uh, India, uh, the, because natural gas, uh, most of our is very important, we have a higher share of coal uh, and oil uh, substituting that natural gas. But nevertheless, I think the, the, the idea that we're, uh, the, the point I'm trying to drive over here is as we move towards net zero, all of that fossil energy has to be substituted with a bunch of uh, clean energy options. Right? And that can range from uh, renewables, biomass, right, uh, nuclear, uh, hydrogen. Uh, the challenge is, you know, uh, a lot of coal today is used in certain industrial applications which requires very high grade of heat. For example, steam, right? uh, where coal is used both as uh, energy source but also as a reduction, uh, which means that coal gives a, a, a sort of, uh, if you combust coal, that uh, generates a lot of carbon monoxide, CO, and that reduces iron oxide to iron. Now, the challenge in these have hard to, uh, and so called use the word is the term is hard to accept it, uh, is we can't be substituting that with direct renewables, right? Because uh, we need certain, uh, uh, we need heat pumps or high, uh, induction heating uh, equipment which are not efficient at the point and not also relevant for the hybrid of heat economy. Uh, so, uh, there actually hydrogen plays a very key role. Uh, where we can directly substitute coal with, hydro uh, with hydrogen in these applications such as steel, such as long-distance transport, uh, refinery, um, uh, fertilizer production, etc. And that's why hydrogen becomes very important. And, you know, uh, again, if I look at the IE estimate, it, it says that uh, for a global NGO, we might need hydrogen in the tune of 700 million tons. And this might increase to more than 100 million tons, if it is a theoretical limit of, you know, uh, of, length of uh, using hydrogen in any application. But, uh, so this estimate of frankly, uh, sort of reflects that the market opportunity is massive. We have almost $11 billion uh, of market investment that's actually uh, on the cards and, and, and that can happen in soon if the right policy benefits. Uh, and, and, and if you look at the, if you look at the global projects and the global, uh, uh, the world is already moving forward. Till date, we already have three different projects that have already been announced globally. 
right? It's, uh, with the fiber being all the investment already uh, either committed to or actually being invested in the pipeline right now. Uh, across the various ending sectors, which is <coughs> the distribution, I think a large part of the project is towards industry usage, which is refined ammonia, methanol, etc. Uh, then there is transport, uh, and then there is you know uh, infrastructure projects such as you know looking at distribution, storage, long distance shipping, uh, etc. And then finally, there is also some specific Indian hydrogen economy. I, I primarily refer, uh, um, referring to things like Hydrogen Valley, which are you know a, a, a very innovative concept. If you look at Saudi Arabia's Milan project, right? They plan to set up an uh, entire new system while keeping hydrogen in the central team of uh, the new energy. Right. So nevertheless, what we do think that hydrogen has a potential to cater to almost 24 percent of of the global energy mix in 2050, for the ramping of 15% uh, in the uh, maximum for this. <laughs> if you look at the policy, uh, there are also been several policies that have been announced. Uh, US being one of the most notable ones because last year that uh, they have announced a uh, subsidy to uh, I think almost $3 per kg of, uh, uh, of hydrogen. To, to, uh, to push the uh, clean hydrogen uh, uh, market in Europe. India, as I said, uh, the MLR is already uh, developing certain uh, uh, policies and some of them that I've already heard about is clean hydrogen production obligations, or which you also call it quota, uh, quota to, to push hydrogen in certain uh, sectors like refinery, fertilizers, etc. Uh, there are also, uh, India is also planning to put up some tax incentives uh, and other cities as primary to support uh, the domestic manufacturing utilizers uh, to perform uh, production link incentives, CLI subsidy program. So, as I was mentioning, there are certain sectors that actually find uh, 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 use capable of hydrogen. Um, Here's a nice chart that actually indicates that at what price plan these sectors become competitive, right? And you can see on the extreme left that uh, hydrogen is already competitive in certain industrial applications, which are primarily in stock, right? And we try to mention even use refineries or fertilizer production. However, these piece of applications also will not give sufficient volume to scale up a hydrogen economy. The significant volumes that hydrogen uh, in the can offer are from the, the trucking industry, the mobility industry, and then the heat and uh, you know, the, the uh, hard to avoid sectors like heat, etc. But the problem is, uh, you know, the, the, the price competitiveness of those sectors uh, are difficult to achieve. Because, for example, uh, trucking can become competitive uh, at a $3 per kg. So the problem is, um, you know, $3, if you, if you look at the current we have in the system, if you are producing, let's say, at $3, your delivery cost will become the $5. The, del the delta $2 to $3 difference is, is primarily because of your storage and distribution infrastructure. Because hydrogen, you know, it's, it's one of the it's largest elements. Uh, for you to effectively store and distribute, you need to compress it to a certain high uh, pressure, uh, for, for example, like 700 bar, which requires massive energy. Uh, or we should have a skydiving storage, which also requires energy. Then you need uh, then to transport it, which requires additional pipelines or specialized containers. Those again become very costly. So uh, a lot of the focus has to also be there on reducing those distributional storage costs 
سورہ ہیڈرین کے اندر ایزیلی پوچھ ان ٹو موسٹ آف دا ریفائنری <laughs> How does, where does India stand in the diary of Ramadan? Obviously, India has a very uh, uh, formidable role today. Um, primarily because India has very good sovereignal uh, resources. If you look at the renewable talents globally, India has one of the lowest talents. And, and that actually uh, incentivizes uh, local traditional production because if you look at any additional production cost, more than 50% of the cost comes from the cost of renewable power. So if you can get the renewable power cheaper, you can get the cost of energy cheaper. Uh, we have a strong market and we also have a strong growth outlook, which means that India uh, itself can, can cater to a large volume of energy consumption. And, and, and that actually is an opportunity for India to you know, become a hydrogen a, a, a economy and put the policy right on itself. Uh, and also, obviously, India has, you know, uh, uh, the coastal wells uh, can cater to uh, the demand in the nearby region. I actually have a nice slide which we talked about how the cost of, of where is India, uh, the cost of, uh, you know, hydrogen from India to uh, shipping to uh, Japan and these are comparing that with the other countries and other countries in the continent. So, I just going to talk about certain cost uh, economics over here. <coughs> we assume that right now uh, our uh, cost of hydrogen is roughly around 2.2. And uh, we assume that by in the next 2025, if the certain point is that already discussed right now actually put in place, we can become comparatively hydrogen. Uh, and the policies which are very crucial are obviously dollar denominator and tariffs because MLR here has already indicated that they might uh, roll out a dollar denominator tariff for denominator production. Uh, waiver of uh, transmission charges, which is just made more open access, open access of renewable power. And third is the PNI subsidy on green, on industrial production, which will again depend on the capital cost industrial And, you know, uh, if this, if we go by that, this uh, cost roadmap, we also see that uh, certain Italian will become completely, there's a lot of sectors, you know, go back to the first graph that I sort of indicated. And another example I, I mentioned is diesel, right? And, and diesel is also, uh, uh, you know, we feel that the cost is completely in the same at least much earlier in diesel. And we're looking at 2023, uh, 2024, where green hydrogen can break even with diesel at the top. Okay. So, uh, coming to some of the key recommendations that I have, uh, so, you know, uh, as the mission is right now being built uh, uh, up, I think one of the most important uh, uh, aspects of it is we need to have very uh, clear and bold targets. Uh, because without those clear targets, it's very hard for the industry to to convince them and give them a, a, a policy certainty to, to, to make those investments. Okay. Our estimates indicate that India can, you know, we feel that India can actually uh, uh, announce a target of 5 million tons by 2025 
and uh, 20 million tons by 2030. And if we bring the 20 million tons uh, target, we are looking at certain, you know, setting up a 5,000 uh, uh, PV stations across countries uh, and 2.5 million tons of green hydrogen in transition in addition to the assets, right? And the 5,000 green stations can also include 2.5 million vehicles in the world. Uh, for the fertilizers, uh, we can we can we can certainly uh, given that the green hydrogen already becomes a very fertilizer of uh, production for particularly green ammonia, we can easily push 15 percent blending of green hydrogen in existing applications, 20 percent from nuclear production, and seal 50 percent of of green hydrogen blending in the existing natural gas disposal. Now, this one uh, point for seal, uh, you know, I just want to spend some time on this sector. Uh, in India, we produce seeds primarily from two pathways. So one is the, uh, the conventional blast furnaces, vessel of the oxygen furnace or coal DNA route, which uses coal and soap as the fuel. And then there's the other, which is the natural gas processes or gas DNI, or we also call them uh, vertical chaff furnaces. Uh, our our conversation with technical uh, technology providers uh, clearly indicates that you know those uh, vertical furnaces, natural gas furnaces, can easily absorb hybrid hydrogen blending because you know what they do, they take natural gas and they reform it to CO and H2, right? So hydrogen is already there as a, as a, as a, as a uh, in, in the gas mixture that the furnaces are using. What we are only saying is why can't you incrementally increase the hydrogen volume in the place? Right, and and and, and while your reduction can happen, and and the manufacturers are already can confirm that this is something possible. Uh, so uh, and and you know, uh, while I was at CW, we recently pushed uh, did a study uh, last year and and in the first digital study for green sector, and we found out that at this price, uh, we can still push nine percent of green hydrogen and still become competitive uh, in the in in the first production process with the conventional blast furnaces. And this nine person can further be pushed to fifty percent by twenty percent. So the, sec the second step is obviously clear for uh the place to clear policies and some of which already are initiated uh right. Uh, uh and you know just not to spend more time on it, but uh, just to cover on this uh summarizing the key point is that dollar generation should be uh, should be put in place. And, and the biggest benefit that the dollar general price will bring in is that it can reduce the cost of finance by 42%. And that's generally a massive boost to the, both the renewable energy sector and also the green energy sector. Uh, second, uh, open access waivers, uh, which are also very important because uh, we don't have the, our current solar and wind plants are located in the different regions of any comparison with the existing demand centers of green hydrogen, right? So, uh, and, and we believe that transporting hydrogen uh, is expensive than transporting power. Uh, and, and, you know, and, 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 it, and it also requires a lot of additional investment in infrastructure to, to, to put in place a large-scale uh, physical transportation network for hydrogen, right? So electricity transportation is a much more sustainable economical uh, uh, way, and I, I think the reduction of those central and state charges are very important to uh, reduce the final annual cost of uh, electricity at the hydrogen production. Uh, MNI is already looking at realized schemes, so I think that's also uh, on the card. Uh, we also uh, sort of propose that we should be 
uh, we should be making green hydrogen production tax-free for a certain number of years. So obviously the sunset clause has, you know, gradually phasing it out as the industries become more competitive. And in terms of the roadmap, as I mentioned, right, we should be targeting with the low-hanging fruits, which are refineries and, and, and petrochemicals, and gradually looking at uh, the other applications of the transportation and longer. So, the third point what we are saying is, uh, is India needs to create a sort of signal to the world. And, and, and we also, we already see that happen. Uh, there's a lot of uh, PSUs, uh, 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 like NTPC, Refineries, IOCL, BPCL, they've already rolled out uh, green hydrogen tenders, where they're actively trying to push green hydrogen index to process. Uh, although, however, we, we, we didn't see a lot of interest or uh, motivation around the long wheel transportation. And, so, and we believe that the long wheel transportation is a sector where India can actually drive out a significant volume of green hydrogen demand. Uh, currently, uh, there are vehicles available on off the shelf, and I think this is the right time for India to invite those, those uh, companies to set up shop in India and start by doing a lot of uh, a certain pilots so that the ecosystem is ready and, and, and they are willing to accept the and primarily, you know, kind of uh, addressing those policy and regulation barriers that we see for scared uh, enough for, uh, uh, you know, pushing the hand in the mobility sector. So the fourth point that I've been, you know, I've been talking about, uh, I think I've touched upon this multiple times, is the open access science. And, and, and the reason is important because we feel that, you know, uh, if we produce green hydrogen, we need uh, both solar and wind. Uh, because that allows you to, uh, to achieve the lowest cost of production. Because, you know, wind, uh, wind alone has a seasonal variability. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. I think we lost on the presentation. Someone has messaged. We can please get the presentation back. Uh, can you see my screen or? No, we we are unable to see the screen now. Okay. Uh, can you tell me which slide was? Um. Do you remember which slide was this uh, uh, presentation? You know. That was slide point number one. Sorry, for point number four. I think it was point number one. Uh, the the price slide number twelve. Okay, 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 sure. I think these are. Uh, I think these are. Uh, sure. I, I met. Um, I, I was in point number four, and, and uh, I think two doesn't have any. Uh, I, I hope I know this. Is this clear? And and. Yeah, this was covered. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, this, this was covered. Okay, right? Perfect. Okay. Uh, so I was saying, right, uh, we believe that uh, we need both solar and wind to achieve the lowest cost of energy. Uh, because wind alone has uh, seasonal variability, uh, which leads to a high cost of production. Same goes for solar, right? Solar has daily variability. Now, if you're running a 20 plant, or 5 percent you need to you need to build on those additional flexibility either by battery storage or employing certain tangents like banking in the grid, etc. That actually leads to more increase uh, in the cost of electricity and obviously further the cost of uh, uh, hydrogen production. Now, 
if you look at the current uh, tax structure, the correct tax structure, they are both central and state charges. Now, as government is right now exploring the building of central charges, the state charges also they are they lead to certain degree of variability because you know that the electricity is also a state subject, so state has a right to decide their own tax. What you also mean that is, you know, if you look at the uh, the first example of dealing solar from Gujarat to Gujarat to UP, uh, they don't, the central charges are dealing with over there. Uh, uh, actually, the central charges will not be applied because it's within the state system, but the final delivered cost of tariff will also be very smooth because Gujarat has a much more higher tariff than <laughs> So, we also highlight the point that the state charges has also to be addressed such that there is an equitable distribution of, of tariffs across uh, the country. And today morning, I also received a draft policy from the state of Afghanistan. And it's actually very encouraging to see that the state government, again, I'm not sure whether the, what stage of the, uh, uh, the consultation process they are in, but they have certainly recommended waiving off of uh, state tariffs of these handling products. And this is a very welcome move. Uh, and I think the, I think the, the the policies are getting in the right direction, and then we are on for for So uh, moving on to the fifth recommendation is uh, we need to build a domestic electricity ecosystem. I will start with electricity. If you look at the existing market for electricity, most of the electricity are only zero. Uh, and this actually leads to a very uh, uh, inflexible industry uh, which has a very high capex cost. Now, our estimate is that if you want to set up a one gigawatt factory, it's roughly around $20 million for that. Uh, it's also non-flexible production capacity. Uh, uh, we need to, you know, for setting up a roughly 500 megawatts of, uh, of additional capacity is almost a year. There is also a long lead time for delivery. Uh, if I, if our, for our estimate, uh, there is a 15 megawatt, you know, the most energy time value is up to 40 months. And also long lead time for construction. Uh, 6 months for, say, 50 megawatts of uh, installation. Right. Uh, which also leads to that we need, we need to promote our domestic energy system just to avoid those use at a uh, cost, uh, bottleneck in the pipeline, uh, and otherwise, we will need to assess significant cost overruns and the and, and industry will be very expensive uh, as we try to set up a And there are also, we also need to look, uh, you know, incentivize certain components manufacturing, right? If you look at this like the technology, there are certain components that go into it. For example, membrane, bipolar type, compressor, pump, power plant, and various identical equipment, so gas turns, etc. These are still not available in the country. Uh, and I'll give an example, which uh, actually uh, a real example. Uh, and here is an example of uh, uh, hydrogen distribution. So uh, we have a electrolyzer setup that goes into a compressor that compresses to roughly around from 30 bar to 150 bar. And there's a storage tank that stores around 150 bar. Then there's a additional compressor because, you know, if you look at the mobility application, you know, tank pressure is surrounded by. So, we have to significantly compress hydrogen uh, from then you look at one to use 700 and then store it, right? Uh, but if you look at the equipment available at the country today, uh, the 
high pressure compressors, high pressure storage banks, and also dispensers are not available in the country right now. We all have new things for it. And there are significant, you know, uh, delays uh, and a huge pipe, uh, auto pipelines already for the new I think this is one of the areas where there is a significant opportunity for domestic manufacturing to 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 rapidly build up and 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 the local ecosystem to to scale up in, in terms of the the support structure. And I think the policy should incentivize the PLS team has been designed. It obviously should extend support to these units as well uh, in addition to the PLS uh, manufacturing. And uh, finally, I think, as, as I was mentioning previously, India has the opportunity to be a global supplier. And we tried to do some math, we found out with public level information. And, and we see that it's, you know, when India ships to Japan, uh, uh, and we're talking about green hydrogen uh, being produced in, in Gujarat and liquefied and it's then shipped uh, to Japan, India, the total cost is around $5.4 per kilo. And when a company, uh, you know, for, with Australia and Chile, who already have tie-ups in Japan, uh, India is far more competitive. And it's also very similar to UAE. Uh, so that also explains that in India actually have a significant uh, potential and, and national mission should not only look at the domestic market, should also try to uh, tap into the export market, uh, especially in the Asian region. So as... Uh, uh, <coughs> A brief overview uh, of the implementation of our offering, as I was mentioning, uh, obviously the, the, the modular uh, design idea that you offer is uh, it has actually heavily advantages. Like ease of installation, uh, it's low construction cost, it's very flexible uh, in terms of installation, quicker timeline, and you can see there's a you know a focus that we taking the unit out for each and this unit weighs a ton, right? So you can think of this as actually a car, right? The weight of a car. And it can be serviced from that point of view. And uh, this is how a specification, I would say, uh, our one sort of, uh, sort of uh, the, the power input is 300 kilowatt B, which also leads to some 415 volt AC, 3K, and it produces 60 kg per hydrogen. So, uh, what I want to kind of bring your attention to is, uh, this infographic, and this is what our vision, we call it Open Tower. Um, so this unit is roughly uh, 20 working floors, and uh, and we, and you know think of this as uh, you're starting uh, incrementally building the unit as your demand increases. Right. So by the time you build your entire floor. You, you have a total power output of uh, power input of 2, 2 gigawatt, uh, which can service 1.2 million tons. Uh, this is with the first generation. Now, with the other generation that we are in the pipeline, uh, for example, if you, if you use Lotus Mark 3, that is a, uh, that we plant in 1985, you can increase the power, uh, the power, the power by almost double, right? For four gigawatts, which can also can, uh, uh, of cars will be four to point four million cars. And, 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 and this is, and I would, I would want to sort of, uh, if you look at the land area, right? You're looking at some like 58 meters by 120 Um, just to simplify it down, our one, one megawatt module just takes less than 100 meters square. 
uh, offline media. So this is what we want to say is you, with, with modular architecture, you can dream big and start small, right, as, and, and expand as your new demand comes in. So I, with this, I want to stop the presentation and uh, uh, look at your questions. So thank you, Dish. Right. Uh, thank you, Senator. I think a uh, super presentation, uh, very, very insightful. I'll, I'll request the participants, uh, if you have questions, uh, please uh, raise your virtual hand. Uh, I'll just start with a few questions, one on CAPEX, one on OPEX, and one on policy. Uh, I think Apurva has raised his hand, we will start with him for that. Uh, uh, since I noticed in the presentation, I think there were three different hydrogen costs. Uh, one of the charts had a costing of $4 plus. I think it was sourced from CEW, which was uh, set up to $4.1, $4.2. The second was Omium, which was $3.26, uh, which was green hydrogen. And the third one was when we, uh, when you spoke about uh, uh, shipping green hydrogen from India to Japan, uh, the cost over there was $2.84. Uh, so what is the number that one should look at? And if I had to understand the underlying math, uh, I think uh, in the CEW chart, it was hybrid power, uh, whereas in our presentation, uh, what you showed uh, was, I think, 55 kilowatt hour at 2 rupees uh, of renewables. And uh, I don't know the underlying math for $2.84. So, first question is, how should one, one look at uh, the underlying economics when it comes from a OPEX standpoint? Yes. So, great question, Rajiv, uh, uh, and I'm thankful that you all that. So, I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to give an example, uh, that explains uh, 3.26, which is our estimate, versus, you know, uh, 2.48, right? Um, so, 2.48 actually factors in a captive mobility of R.E., and which means that you're not paying any open access charges to it, right? So, that, that's what it comes out to. However, the moment you start with your power, your open access charges, you see your cost increase, and that's what you pay as 3.26 dollars per kg of hydrogen. And that, uh, that, sorry, that, yeah. that assumes 55 kilowatt hour at 2 rupees uh, of uh, renewable cost. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I, 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 uh, please go ahead, please go ahead. Yeah, and the CW one the other wind and solar, is, uh, that, that is for 2020, because that also has a very, uh, uh, we assume a higher uh, cost of power and also uh, uh, it's basically uh, the, the, the wind power pressure is also very high. Whereas, you know, uh, if you look at the other OVM one, so I can tell you the, what the assumption that is cheaper to be. Right? So we are taking the solar price of 0.01 dollars per kilowatt hour. That's the that's assumption. And, you know, uh, if I take 55 kilowatt hours, uh, I think my total is the power cost comes out to be the one point two three. Right. Uh, it is just like a zero point zero point zero two nine years per kg. Even on the second one. Right. And what will be the balance cost over here? Uh, X X power. Basically, uh, if one had to look at, look at it from an OPEX standpoint, uh, specifically uh, the electrolyzers. So yeah, the balance will be obviously your electrolyzers, your your storage cost. And, uh, and, and, uh, um, yeah, and obviously, uh, if you look at your distribution, uh, the open access tariff is okay. 
But and in terms of our initializer cost, I think we we consider some thousand dollars per kilowatt, which is the industry average right now. That's that's great. Uh, second question was on capex. Uh, if you can uh, uh, take us through a slide, I think wherein you had given out a pretty uh, good good details on. I think uh, uh, I I I read I recollect uh, power electronics was written, compressor was written, uh, place was written, membrane was written. Uh, and I think you also indicated uh, uh, that you can place the slide. That, yeah, yeah, that would yeah. be uh, awesome. Is this the one you're talking about? Yes. So uh, I think what you indicated was uh, for us the sourcing is more than 90%. Uh, that is that is huge. Uh, I think that's that's a big win. Uh, I don't know where the fear set is or do we even have. I, I, I know of only one or two other companies who are attempting to uh, set up uh, electrolyzer manufacturing units in the country. Uh, so is it possible for you to give a broad indication of the breakup of uh, stats versus balanced plant and uh, equipment? And how much is uh, the scope for further cost reduction? Uh, that, that's the second thing. And third, based on my reading, specifically for PEM, I think there are two variables. Uh, one is uh, platinum uh, and other is, I think, iridium also comes in. Uh, do you think that that becomes a risk from a longer term uh, standpoint uh, when, it, when it comes to sufficiency of this particular uh, variables? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so I think this question, uh, uh, this question is a, a very common question, uh, and I think we have been asked this multiple times. Um, but what I, what I can tell you that you know, uh, a funder when making a business investment, right, and, and we have made a business investment not by looking at uh, 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 only a handful of years, but looking at uh, a huge, uh, you know, from a long-term possibility, and not only catering to Indian market and to the world market, right. Uh, we have carefully evaluated all technology issues that, that, uh, that's out there. We have looked at our founders are experienced in working with, outline their experience with working with, all of site and obviously uh, that's right. Uh, what we don't have in the industry, in fact, you know, this is, uh, to, if you come to Bangalore, you know, there are uh, tests running each day how we can improve the material consumption, how we can improve the stagnation. And I can tell you that, you know, our consumption of materials, especially the critical minerals that often uh, become the central at certain point, have reduced by 40 cents at this right? uh, And the research papers that are out there are nowhere close to the number. Unfortunately, uh, given again, this is a highly business confidence information, uh, very few people in the industry, in our company, also in that uh, attribute to that. I mean, I myself do not know what is the exactly, what exact is the intensity of material that goes over there, right? But I can certainly tell you that uh, uh, there have been active efforts in ensuring that these does not lead to any future bottleneck, right? And we understand that how important iridium is, right? Iridium is actually a by, it's not a primary user, it's a byproduct, right? And it is highly linked to certain TGMOs. It's not also available globally. So we also understand that any small supply disruption in India will lead to a huge, uh, obviously, price stop in India, right? And, and, and we have certain mechanisms to buffer it. And what the mechanism is, completely reduce and phase out the consumption itself. Right? So that's, that's our roadmap, internal roadmap, where we are heading towards. 
that we want to obviously instead of go move away from all those middle consumptions. And currently, uh, I, I don't, uh, and I don't, I don't think that the lack of ability of certain windows to go to a business with part-time flexibility. Uh, on your question on the various components, as I mentioned, right, the the rationale for us to you know achieve or uh, the reason why we 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 were able to achieve more than ninety percent of Indian supply chain because we designed the product to be uh, based on Indian supply chain, right? And if you look at one of our products, it's the cabinet, right? Uh, for us to choose a three hundred kilowatt cabinet. Uh, we we looked at the entire supply chain from an Indian point of view, right? We looked at uh, what are the materials that are available on the shelf, what 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 the the current you know cargo container size, right? Uh, how do we ensure because our our founders had an experience, they work with you know very high safety standards in NASA plus power, so what compromises on the safety and quality standards? What is the best possible sizing that we can offer, and with Indian supply chain in mind? So that's how we sort of uh, design the system. And you know, as we ramp up, right? In, if you go to the next slide, as we ramp up on generation modules from Mark One to Mark Two to Mark Three, we won't be changing that system size. Our system size, the land footprint for one uh, for that in the current system will still remain intact, whereas our that efficiency and productivity Yes, uh, just to sort of follow up, you indicated I think thousand dollars per kilowatt. Uh, uh, I presume that's the capex intensity. Uh, this yes. will be uh, for uh, three hundred kilowatt. Uh, no, 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 this is the this is the industry standard. Uh, this is the industry. I mean, I'm just taking uh, references from the publicly available information that's already out there. Okay. Uh, so if you look at the recent IEA report, that assumes that you know thousand dollars as an average uh, price for 2030. So okay, that's also important. So if hypothetically, if I had to put on a 300 kilowatt uh, uh, unit. Uh, how much would be the cost, basically? Uh, I think uh, Omium was in uh, news recently about uh, the first export of electrolyzer from India uh, to U.S. Uh, how should one understand, uh, basically, the basic cost if one had to buy it from Omium? So, obviously, see, uh, uh, there's a lot of things that goes inside the, uh, the, uh, the product offering. Now, uh, I'll just give you one example, right? Um, Let's say you're using your uh, electrolyzer for a industry uh, application, which doesn't require high purity hydrogen, right? You, you can achieve, let's say, meet 99.99 as a hydrogen purity. But then there's also application where you require 599, 99.99999, right? 59 over that, especially for applications in future or uh, if you want to produce uh, hydrogen to produce ammonia, right? You require a very high purity. The cost changes. Because uh, you need additional uh, monitoring equipment, plus there is a significant cost, uh, sort of uh, cost that goes into uh, in terms of construction and, and and you know setting up the entire infrastructure. For example, if you if you are offering one body, right? This is how one body looks. Right? You have uh, there are one six cabinets. Cabinet A is your power electronics. Cabinet B is the hydrogen modules, right? And other ones are actually uh, support cabinets. The moment you go for multi-cabinets, the entire design system changes. Right? Uh, 
uh, things like uh, uh, you know uh, the cooling module, water module, calibrity module, all become centralized. So there is a massive opportunity for cost reduction. Right. So for multi multi megawatt stacks, obviously a low cost compared to a single kilowatt stack. Right. Uh, but again, as I said, these are costs that highly vary from uh, project to project. And I think oh, we will be happy to send in those information as you know, if there's a request, the request that we with a sort of information of the project that comes away, we will be happy to share this from that. Sure. And I can see this chat uh uh my email ID, uh please sort of be at the domain dot com. So I can be reached at if there is a certain specific uh Certainly. Uh, I have a lot of questions. There's a lot of food for thought. I'll, I'll uh, request Apollo, please unmute yourself and uh, go ahead with the question. I'll jump back in the queue again. Apollo? Hey, sure. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Tika. Uh, thank you for the very insightful presentation despite not being very well. Uh, appreciate that. Tika, uh, a couple of questions. Uh, I think firstly on that thousand dollars uh, per kilowatt number which you have taken, uh, that I believe is for stack of PEM, right? Not the entire system first. No, I mean, yeah, uh, that, that's, yeah I'm assuming it's a cost. Okay, because my understanding was that PEM is roughly around 8,800 as of now, 15 to $1,800 uh, per kilowatt on a system basis. Uh, anyways. Uh, so I can I can tell you one thing about uh, is uh, you know this is again the our own internal lesson is that uh, omium we are competitive when it when it comes to uh, alkaline that's offered by the European companies very highly competitive. Um, barring the Chinese products, uh, 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 because I don't know they have been very low prices quoted uh, recently on BNA study I think quote around two fifty three hundred dollars if I'm not mistaken. Right. I mean that to be true. Um, I, I honestly don't know how they're achieving it, but that's a very low price point, and and, and that and if that actually uh, happening, they, they might have a significant hand in, in in flooding the world with other things. So that was my second question. Actually, do you think that <laughs> I think you've answered that uh, because the Chinese investment I think is very high on the Chinese side. To be very honest, you don't think that happening in the market. That's that's that's, that's the understanding. Uh, okay. You know, um, on this PEM side, on the electrolyzer side specifically, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but this tax cost is around 45-50% of the overall system cost. Yes. Right. True. And the remaining, remaining being the balance of plant power supply, etc., etc. Now, I understand that these tax costs can be brought down specifically by scale and it's an evolving technology. The other half uh, is something which is quite mature, right? Uh, so. Even at say a $1,500 per kilowatt hour basis, per kilowatt basis, so $700 dollars will be the balance of system cost. How much of that can be reduced by scale? Because if that doesn't happen, then PEM uh, versus alkaline will, I mean, alkaline is anyways at a much, much lower price. So our uh, internal company roadmap uh, is, uh, we want to put in 2050 projections in the next 10 years. That, that's our internal company roadmap. And we think that is Highly achievable. Even for PEM systems, uh, the power electronics plays a very crucial role, uh, and that is one of the most important parts of a of a system. And and we often give an example, right? You know, if you take the hardest versus solid state uh, SSD, right? One is a mechanical device, the other is a power electronic device. I mean, actually, electronic device. Right? And you see how SSDs actually 
is able to significantly uh, reduce the cost and, and gain market uh, shares. And we feel that similar can be achieved for electronic systems because you know, this is a electrolyzer. There are very few moving parts. Right? Uh, the real value is how you are actually controlling the power distribution, so your stack is able to generate the amount of value also. Right? So stack reduction will happen obviously as its own scale up is a significant scale up uh, factor. And we also believe that as we start building in more modules and modules, right, we are constantly improving our power strength and that will further reduce the cost significantly. Okay. I think that, that can work out. Uh, uh, Aparo, uh, I'll, I'll just continue to your question. Uh, sorry to bump in. Uh, Aparo, just, just be there. Uh, uh, to what Aparo is asking, I think, uh, that is quite pertinent. Uh, if, again, one looks at uh, the stack offering, uh, uh, do you think we are at optimal level? Uh, because uh, based on my preliminary study, I think uh, CCM and PTL, uh, they, they combine together account for nearly 70% of the cost. Uh, do you think there's scope for uh, further reduction given you indicated 90% of it is already uh, local sourcing? Uh, is, it, is it purely a function of scale that we are looking at or uh, is, there, is there more to it? So yeah, this is obviously a function of scale because uh, obviously we are saying 90% is indigenous, but we still there are opportunities uh, from economic scale out there. But we are right now still working with smaller volumes, right? The moment you start building kilometers of of membranes, right, kilometers of uh, your titanium plate, the cost will come down significantly. Right? As I as I told you, right, it's a, it's the same module, right? Like if we are building exactly the same thing again and again. Right? The more as we build it up, as we try to or streamline our supply chain, the costs are bound to come down to the cost. And this is also, I mean, if, if I look at, you know, I'll just give you an example of uh, what the industry is also doing. Industry is trying to go for building large modules, okay? They are going for gigawatt stack, right? And then gigawatt stack is, and they anticipate that a gigawatt stack is able to, will drive them certain, uh, certain costs in economics, right? And I'm gonna, let, and let me find the number. So, yeah, so, again, this is the industry estimate we say is from moving from zero level of stack to 20 level of stack size, you can see a 50% cost reduction. So that's massive, right? And then further from 20 to 100, again 30% cost reduction. And this is the single single stack size of the market. Sure, that's such a good Upper over to you. Right, just one, one last question from my side, uh, Peter, and that is on. Uh, your RTC green power cost assumption uh, yeah. for for yeah, generating uh, hydrogen at say one and a half or one dollar. Uh, so what are you assuming over there? Given that storage cost will probably take much much longer to to be competitive or to to reach that one dollar or one rupee one and a half rupee RTC power price range. Yeah, so uh, in our, again, in the slide that I've indicated, we are assuming that the open access tariff actually waived off, right? But obviously, uh, it can't be waived off, I mean, you need to have a, 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 a the market can't be created if you uh, provide power coffee, right? Uh, but uh, we, we do see our this potential in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in where we can, you know, create certain mechanism for competitive banks around the clock power pricing. Uh, 
and and right now I think you know uh, we we don't have any further uh, numbers on what should be the uh, what should be the top items, but um, we recently you know we are we are basically operating at the current tariff versus zero tariff, right? That that's what we show in all of our sites. <laughs> Right. No. No. My my only uh, question is since green power, green energy is intermittent, right? Uh, ensuring that it is around the clock, probably without a pump hydro solution, is very very difficult. Uh, so so how do you factor that? Are you like uh, are you modeling oversized systems and hydrogen storage, or uh, uh, are you are you modeling more of a blending of power and a net green uh, power consumption level? So, uh, mathematical models, I'll tell you the mathematical models that we use and, and, and uh, in fact in the, in the near term 2013 batteries come out to be a very competitive option for things, right? Uh, compared to, and obviously I, uh, to be very honest, I have not modeled the banking charges in that, in, in, in that uh, equation, uh, but we do see that instead of building up to oversizing electrolyzer and utilizing it less and throwing in a hydrogen tank becomes very expensive. Uh, and and uh, and instead of doing that, you basically build in a certain battery capacity, right? You reduce the utilizer uh, of uh, uh, size, and you minimize the storage that is possible. That can be that can be one of the most you know low cost way right now. And as hydrogen storage becomes cheaper and utilizers become cheaper, then you can probably go for more oversight, right? But an ideal situation can be that you know if, if there is a power portfolio, right, and I can draw as I need, right? Without paying any additional charges to the grid, that's the most ideal scenario that we can work for. Right. Sure, makes sense. Thanks a lot, Tisa. Uh, thank you, Apurva. I'll request the participants if you have any questions, uh, please uh, raise your virtual hand. Tisa, uh, just one question. Uh, I think slide uh, point number two, uh, what you indicated on create clear policies, uh, I think it was very, very informative. It answered a lot of questions. Uh, how do you see the timelines over here? Like, is it something which is uh, probably uh, over a couple of months uh, with a major event lined up? Or is it we are looking at over the next two to three years uh, when you actually see, like, uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to gauge is how, uh, how serious is the government uh, on, on uh, this particular aspect? Yes. So, the... Uh, no. Policies on slide number two, and, and, and we are talking about, you know, dollar denominated tariffs, right, such as transmission waiver, PLI, I think this should be built in the next budget. I mean, that's what we feel, that as the budget is being worked on right now, these are the very, these are low-hanging tools that can be easily incorporated. And we are not even talking about, uh, you know, mandating hydrogen in seed, that can come later, right. But for to start with, can we can we just introduce certain those uh, the, the reforms in the in the power sector, and then try to pick up certain pilots, right? Let's just put in some pilots for uh, long distance transportation, some pilots for steel, and that, that can be incorporated in the next budget allocation that government is making right now. Um, and I think this is very doable in the next one or two years. And these are all short term to our understanding. Right. And a second related question, uh, how is the government approaching it? Like green hydrogen is great, but uh, grey hydrogen probably or blue hydrogen is uh, a good transition point. And given India has a lot of coal, uh, how, how would you approach it and how is the government actually looking at it? Because uh, I think uh, on coal gasification, 
uh, I think government has given out additional rebates uh, on the on the royalty payment that the coal is used for uh, inside of coal gasifiers. Something what General Steel and Power is doing. Uh, so, what's your reading, and what would your suggestion be uh, on how it should progress? See, first of all, for blue, I mean, the blue hydrogen, right? Um, we we feel that with the policies in place, right, we'll eliminate competitive blue hydrogen in the next uh, in the next handful of couple of years. Uh, and and it's always still happening, right? NDP, uh, NDPC, IOPL, BPCL, right? And also there's several other refineries. They're already floated out tenders uh, for green hydrogen. And that's happening. So blue, yes, uh, we can debate about it, but I think blue certainly can go out of the picture as green hydrogen becomes compared in, in the short term, right? So the question comes about uh, coal. I mean, obviously, I have very little understanding of technology from the field, but what I Still trying to, uh, we are still trying to figure out is this is not a new technology. Coal gasification has been there for I don't know, I mean, how many years? This JFK Rangul plant, I think, was uh, was functional as early as around 15, but they ran into several issues, right? So, uh, so my reading of it uh, of coal gasification, I think, one of the most important constraints becomes coal quality, and it should not be a uh, again, a scenario where we are again trying to import coal because we don't have the mostly coal quality that can lead to requirements. That will again get us into a lock-in, right? And as I was saying, right, one of the most important factors in transition would be that how efficiently can we utilize the assets? It's not only about utilizing the existing assets of a steam plant. It's also, it's also questioning that if I set up a new coal infrastructure, a new pipeline, I'm getting more jobs more livelihood depending on it and investing more in building the ramping of coal, can I switch it in the, in the longer run? Right? How difficult for it may be to switch? And we have seen that happen today is only difficult. The existing coal mines, they have significant issues in, you know, in rehabilitation, looking at what, what needs to be, what we should be doing to the millions of people who are already employed in it, right? So that, that's, that's my question. I don't think we have a full answer of our entire picture being evaluated, but I think our request is the policymakers take into consideration the entire supply chain, right? And then take an informed decision that what is more beneficial uh, for, uh, from our lowest cost of transition project. Uh, thanks. One more question from uh, my end before we probably close the session. Uh, this on uh, the slide where you had indicated uh, the green hydrogen costing, uh, I think it's around 90 cents uh, on 20-30 basis. Now, uh, I think uh, Reliance has indicated around a dollar per kg. Uh, so, just wanted to have a sense, uh, what do you think of competitive intensity over here? Uh, any sense on uh, what are the technologies uh, probably uh, other companies are following in the industry? Uh, any, any sense, any, anything that you would like to share over here? Sure. So, uh so first of all, uh, I, uh, we feel that at one dollar by twenty thirty is achievable. Right? I mean, certainly see that, uh, and that can and with the, with the current initiatives that are being planned by government, and also with the the, the, the efforts done by the market, I think that is certainly achievable, and we are also in line with the major corporate that uh, that's already announced those um, 
And I mean, uh, in terms of market competition, obviously there will be several technologies. We are not saying that STEM will be the only technology. We would we will also find certain other applications, niche applications where, you know, this product said makes sense. Because there's additional themes which can be utilized, which will then further also lower your cost of production. Right? So, uh, and that's what we, we also kind of uh, sort of uh, uh, also be a bit agnostic in the, in the sense that uh, the government should put up a price target and let the market choose the best optimal technology that, that they can, you know, to achieve a transfer. Uh, sure. Or if, if I have to twist the question some uh, the other way around, uh, you indicated a couple of uh, larger companies have already floated tenders uh, on hydrogen. Uh, what are the variables that they look at? Uh, uh, basically, is it a levelized cost uh, or basically is it the source? Uh, how, how should one understand? So if NTPC has already floated a tender, uh, how should one read into it to uh, understand it from a layman's term? Right, right. So, I think... Uh, of course, probably you can chip in if you want to uh, refine my question. Uh, if you have any incremental uh, data points over here, please, please feel free to chip in. Yeah, over to you, sir. So, yeah, I mean, uh, right, I mean, uh, this, I think what we're also looking at is we are again going the L1 job, right? And all those tenders, I think, basically, in that uh, the tenders are looking forward to the lowest levelized cost of hydrogen that any technology or any you know, solution can provide them, right? So that, that being the overall sense, um, I don't see there is a certain additional clauses. Obviously, there, is a, there are certain additional requirements that come in. For example, you need to look at certain pressures, right? Requirements in fact, certain purity uh, requirement, and that's where this technology differentiation can happen. And one, obviously, and one of the most other important factors is what you see is the land availability, right? Because if you are if you are expanding an existing facility, you will not have a lot of access to land, right? And that actually becomes a very difficult to understand, you know, which technology should I deploy? And if I deploy, can I easily ramp it up, right? What is the additional cost that I can uh, sort of uh, uh, incur? Because uh, we are right now, so the L1 perhaps only is the, the, the tender is perhaps targeting one or two percent of their overall target, right, in the 2030. So those are the broad parameters that we keep are looking forward. I hope I was able to answer your question. Uh, yep. yep, yep, yep. Uh, that's, that's very useful. Uh, Tirtha, I'd like to thank you so much uh, for a very, very insightful <laughs> presentation. Uh, honestly, a lot of food for thought. Uh, uh, I think it again goes back to zero where uh, you get a feeling that you need to read uh, a lot more. Uh, there are way too many variables to understand in this space. Uh, I'd like to uh, thank all the participants also uh, uh, for joining on uh, for this particular session. Uh, thank you so much, Tirtha, for your time. Uh, Swapna, over to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.